Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Proverbs chapter 24, uh, verse 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it is pretty loud, isn't it? <laughs> At least it sounds loud up here. Behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, and its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber, and your want like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it, um, it's not just a bunch of encouraging nonsense, uh, fake Oprah-like stuff, but it speaks right to our heart and it calls us out. Truly, your word is a double-edged sword and it does pierce us. Father, I pray as it pierces us tonight, we just be quick to repent and thankful that uh, your grace is sufficient, and you're, you're willing to strengthen us and help us live a life of diligence that glorifies you. And we do pray that would be the sort of life we live. In your son's name, amen. A Proverbs is a book that repeatedly shows that our real-life output is a product of our spiritual state. It reminds us that there's an undeniable relationship between our heart in our hands, our attitude, and our actions. Anyone that reads a single chapter of this book should walk away concluding that our inner life and outer life are intimately intertwined. And they can't be separated. And yet there is a tendency to claim that our behavior has nothing to do with our internal state. We are like the mother of a man that's committed some horrific crime. No matter how terrible his acts were, the mother will always, always insist that deep down he really was a good boy. And that is how we treat ourselves. No matter how disordered our home is, no matter how poor our health is, no matter how messed up our finances are, no matter how friendless we are, it isn't really our fault. These things aren't a reflection of our soul. Deep down, we're really a good boy. It's not our fault, right? We've been dealt a bad hand. We meant well but we could not overcome the extenuating circumstances of a fallen world. In this sense, we see ourselves as victims. That is our default, and perhaps we wouldn't use that particular word, but our starting place is that if there is a problem, it's out there somewhere. It's not in here, it's out there. It isn't inside us. We aren't responsible. There's some other force, and it has the responsibility. And that mindset's not new been around obviously Proverbs deals with it quite well but it's become a predominant feature of American culture we're all victims and ultimately no one is responsible for the output of their life that's how we all act that's how we all think if we're American but Proverbs hammers that mindset into a million tiny little pieces it absolutely destroys it the state of your life is a clear indicator of your spiritual state And yes, by and large, you are responsible for your current reality. You are the central cause of your problems. Yes, there are other factors. But 
usually you're the main factor. That should be our default. Instead of others having to convince us that maybe just an itty-bitty part of our problems has something to do with us, it should be the other way around. We should assume that we are to blame in some way or another. This isn't always the case, but it usually is. And that's a hard truth for us Americans to embrace. It's a jagged pill. We're a nation of blame shifters, pity seekers, and excuse makers. There are things outside of our control. There are ways in which we truly are victims. I'm not denying there's such things as victims. I'm not denying there's such things as outside forces. However, personal responsibility is the clear teaching of Proverbs and the rest of Scripture. That's what it emphasizes over and over again. Individual responsibility. Which brings us to our passage in verse 30. Solomon says, I passed by the field of the sluggard. This passage connects the spiritual reality of a man with his economic reality. Solomon observes his field and vineyard, and from the dilapidated state, he's able to deduce that they are under the care of a sluggard. It's profound, really. The two things are connected. What's going on inside you and your, your possessions, the things in your care, whether it be children, a wife, or a vineyard. Now, it's true uh, that the vineyard could be in disrepair because of some terrible storm, famine, um, because of a war, perhaps a devastating death in the family. There are other reasons for someone's life being all jacked up besides being a slugger. Uh, for that reason, I'd urge you always to be appropriately slow in coming to judgment on others. A good rule is to be slow to judge others and quick to judge yourself. A good rule. Rules mean there are exceptions to them, mind you. Um, However, we should all know the reality is, in most cases, our life is in a wrecked state because of our own poor decisions and laziness. Look back on the biggest mistakes of your life. Seriously, just catalog them. Maybe you don't have many, so it's easy for you. People like me get overwhelmed sometimes. Right? The Google of my mind starts pulling up very, very poor decisions. How much of a role did you have to play in that situation? A few of them weren't my fault. The majority were. Regardless, I was responsible for how I reacted to all of them. And so are you. So even the ones that aren't your fault, the way that you react to those disasters and challenges or whatever, that is your responsibility. In 1989, a tornado, there was, I think, 15 tornadoes uh, hit southern Indiana. One destroyed Bedford, Indiana, which isn't far from Bloomington, and uh, a series of them also came over to the county uh, in which my grandmother lived, and the tornado uh, hit their farm, cracked her roof open, uh, took a chicken coop to who knows where, we never, and it wasn't a small chicken coop, we never found it, it's just gone, and some really large barns, they had lots of uh, cattle and uh, some horses, uh, destroyed the, the barns, there was trash everywhere, and... Um, and uh, for a couple of days, they had to gather themselves, get their bearings. Uh, but within a few days, they started repairing the farm right away. And within a few weeks, the farm was more or less how it once was. Chicken coop was gone. You still see the foundation to this very day. And uh, so the tornado, uh, without a doubt, it left a mark. And... Um, 
that's, that's really how our life is, too. So it is with whatever personal crisis they have. They may make a mess, but we have a responsibility to diligently respond in faith. We mustn't be a sluggard. Right? Bad things happen. I used to be a collector, and as a collector, you call people up and ask them to keep their covenant. If you don't like collectors, I wonder what your views of covenants are. <laughs> people have signed a covenant, made a contract, and they've broken that covenant, and now we're calling them to honor it. And a lot of times, people had silly excuses, but some people had terrible things that had happened to them. Right? Cancer, um, some of them were car wrecks, whatever. We called lots, you know, we called 120 people a day. You hear lots of stories. Um, and some of them never got back up from it. And sometimes that's just because they didn't lack the resources. Other times they lacked the will. And that's what happens to a lot of us. Something bad happens. We use it as an excuse uh, to, to go inward and stop producing and become self-focused and to become sluggish. And we don't want that to happen. Things can leave their mark and you can take your time to respond uh, to them. But in time... Uh, you should be repairing the walls. A slugger is a word that's fallen out of usage. You don't hear it very often, um, except maybe the derivative sluggish. We hear that. We're feeling sluggish after Thanksgiving. Probably that's, sluggish is probably used on Thanksgiving more than any other day of the year. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess. Um, it's not even very common in Scripture, actually. It only um, occurs 14 times, and all 14 times are in the book of Proverbs. It doesn't happen outside of Proverbs. I was surprised by that. I didn't know that until yesterday. Um, so although it isn't common in the whole of Scripture, it is an important re- reoccurring theme in Proverbs. So if you're going to do a study of Proverbs, you'll walk away thinking, okay, sluggard, the sluggish man, is, is a major theme that I have to talk about if I'm going to outline uh, Proverbs. And Proverbs usually has, is very binary, right? Um, it'll poor, rich, righteous, unrighteous, and sluggard is usually put up against diligence, right? Those are uh, how they're contrasted in it. Now, the word sluggard uh, sounds like a slug because that, that is part of its root, slug and ard, which means slow kind. And that's what the word sluggard means. You're a slow kind of person. Um, it's a person who's habitually lazy, idle, and inactive. That's what a sluggard is, habitually, over and over again. A quick survey of the use of the word in Proverbs really fleshes out the particular character of this sort of man. And I should say here that um, we we are translating Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic into English. So you can't always just go to an English dictionary and get the full sense of a word by going to Webster's. One way you can really understand the word is simply go through the similar context in Scripture and see how Scripture uses it. That'll flesh it out. That's, and it's a fun study. It's a real fun study to do, and you've got so many tools nowadays. BibleGateway.com, you just pop it in there, and sometimes you can go see if it's the same Greek word, and, and it'll really help you understand if the word's being used the same way. A lot of bad hermeneutics comes from not uh, figuring out the proper usage of a word. But if I say this room is cool, it could be that the room is like hip. I don't know if we would say that or not. Um, eventually it will be. Things cycle. So once we get back to, what, the mid-70s, we should be cool. Um, but, uh, or it could be the temperature, right? Words have a semantical range. Uh, so just as a student in Scripture, I would urge you to actually study how the words use. And I want to do that 
with sluggard just real quick. Um, and I'll give you a couple characteristics of a sluggard. First, a sluggard is a prolific consumer. They consume. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. Proverbs 21, 25, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. Put those two things together, you get someone that wants to consume, but they don't want to produce, right? Consuming is supposed to lead to production. We eat food, so we have energy to do work. We read the Bible not just to get knowledge, but to live a life that glorifies God, a life zealous for good works, that is what consumption should lead to. As I was talking to my son, my son's been reading a lot of these, uh, these fantasy books about cats uh, forming clans and fighting each other. Uh, it's crazy. Um, but it's good to consume fantasy if you use fantasy for that which it's for. Fantasy takes good ideas from reality and isolates them so you can see virtues or understand scenarios that happen in life so when you are brought face to face with those virtues that you have an idea how to live it out that's the whole point of fantasy fantasy when it's done right it sends you into reality not out of reality right so fantasy is destructive when you retract from reality it's supposed to produce something in you right so books media food even scripture the things we consume is to, to actually lead to something. And I had a friend that he was always listening to sermon tapes. And all, well, we didn't have MP3s then. But there was Firefighters for Christ. I don't know if anyone knows that ministry. But that ministry would send out free tapes of, of sermons of John MacArthur and Ray Stedman. A lot of these guys that were big preachers in the 60s, 70s, R.C. Sproul. And they would send them out free of charge. So we'd get the catalog as excited as could be and like have all these sermons sent to us and pop them in our Walkman or radio. And he would listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And I said, I don't know if this is good, man. I don't, I don't know. Like you're listening to like eight sermons. How could it be bad to listen to eight sermons a day? Well, what, what is the purpose, right? The purpose, the purpose of studying God's word is transformation. It's just not knowledge. Right, is actually knowing God, and that should change your life. With much knowledge comes much responsibility. And someone that's just treating Scripture as if it's um, like any other book, something to memorize for Jeopardy and trivia, that's bad. So there's a way we can even consume good things. Matter of fact, uh, everything we consume usually is good, but it becomes bad when it's not in moderation and used with a purpose. It has to have an aim. And that aim is always to produce things in our life. This guy doesn't produce. This guy's a parasite. He consumes. That's what he does. Secondly, a sluggard is an excuse maker. Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion in the open square. And then Proverbs 22, 13 says something very similar. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. Now look, there were lions back then. Um, But anyone that knows anything about lions from watching the Discovery Channel... How accurate that is about lions, I don't know. But that's where most of my knowledge comes from. (laughs) Knows that lions don't like fire and they don't like lots of sound. They usually stay away from that. 
You know, their cities are not that often overran with lions. Um, it's not happening. It's a stupid, crazy excuse. And a sluggard will make up excuses. Every excuse he can think of not to work, not to produce, just to rest and lay back. And uh, this is a hard one because uh, my, my grandmother, I don't think she believes people got sick, which is weird because she took medicine. But she appeared not to think anyone was sick. So anytime I felt really sick and I was like vomiting and I, th- I had a fever, she's like, oh, you'll be fine. Send me to school anyway. So as I got older, I, to this day, I don't know. Like, am I really sick? Is this in my head? Um, there are times where you can't show up for work. There are times you can't do things. But the sluggard's always using lame excuses not to do things, not, not to be diligent to fulfill their responsibilities. We know people like this. You know, as, as a hiring manager at Sally May, um, people would always give me some of the craziest excuses. And we didn't really care because we had a point system. If you, had, you could have so many excuses and, and then you were fired, that's all there was. But they had to tell you, and they were really ornate sometimes, right, that things happened. Well, I was doing this, and then my car, and then I would, and just this blows up into this massive story that I, I highly doubt's true. But uh, a sluggard's always making excuses. There's a difference between an explanation that's connected to reality and then saying there's a lion, right? Let me press this one just a little bit. If I may, maybe offend you. If you'll permit me the risk of offending someone. It amazes me how many people miss Sundays for being sick. And I think... And it happens. People really get sick. But uh, if you missed work that many times at most jobs, you would be fired in a, in a calendar year. If Actually, if you miss work half of those times, I want to challenge you. Sometimes we feel a freedom not to come to church because, after all, it is the weekend. And it's not the work week. And so then our, our, what we consider sick on Sunday and what we consider sick on Monday are two different standards. If you're sick and you, we don't want, we don't want bubonic plague here. Keep your germs, right? But you need God's word. You need God's people. And you need the liturgy. And you need to be worshiping God. Um, so, so you won't be sick. I would, these are little things we have to think about. Is this an excuse Am I lazy? Is getting dressed and dragging my kids to the minivan that aren't very pleasant to begin with and driving to church however far it is? Is that just real inconvenient and I don't want to do it? Um, or, or am I legitimately sick? God knows your heart. Um, but I just want to push on that a little bit. All right. A sluggard is a beggar. Proverbs 24, or 20, verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. There's two times you plow in the Near East. You plow early in the spring and then again in the autumn. Uh, The most uh, bountiful plowing results from the autumn one, right? So in other words, this guy probably started in the spring. He started something. And then when the most important part of it, which is the autumn plow, comes, he doesn't do it. Right? So sluggers start and don't finish. 
that one stings. If it doesn't sting you, it stings me. Um, but sluggers are someone that's always starting something and not finishing it. But that's the most important one. He doesn't prioritize. He doesn't get to it. And therefore, he doesn't have. Right? You think of the bad situations we find ourselves in. They are often the result of decisions made six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, right? We didn't have the right priorities, and there's consequences for those things. It's sort of inertia, right? And uh, so this sluggard ends up begging. This is something that's hard to get people to believe in America. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, we were a capitalist society. Not anymore. We're about communist, socialist, and Marxist these days. And the idea that anyone's poverty has anything to do with their decisions is scoffed at, right? But that is to hate Scripture. Scripture is very clear. This, this man's laziness. This man, this, and guess what? This man had a field to plow. He has a field, and he doesn't plow it, and therefore he begs. So they're always begging for help, right? They're always dependent on others. They don't have any self-sufficiency. A sluggard lives for the weekends and the snow days. I put snow days because I just remember how much I hated school. And I look forward to snow days. South, I mean, I guess if it snows here a little bit, you get like a snow week. But uh, we get snow days all the time up in the Midwest. Um, Proverbs 6, 9. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Always kicking back. Always resting is a sluggard. Just always looking forward to not doing anything. Not being productive. Not loving work. This is a feature of a, of a sluggard's personality. Number five, a sluggard is a know-it-all. Proverbs twenty six sixteen: The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. And here's what Spurgeon says related to this that I think is helpful. He who does little dreams much. You find that the people that don't do anything, they have opinions on everything, Right? And uh, they're not doing anything like, oh, if you, it should, you know, like, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a funny illustration uh, where you've tried to do something. I used to play video games and I would get stuck at a level and I was so much better than this other person and I couldn't beat it. And like, well, give me a try. And they think they're going to do something different and then they still can't do it. Um, maybe that's not a good illustration, but it's one I thought of because we have NES at home right now. But, um, but nonetheless, uh, what happens is these are men that always think they know better. But the only reason they think they know better is because they do nothing. If they did stuff, they would be humble and know how difficult these things are. I remember at, uh, at my last church when I came there, I was very critical of the way they did small groups. It was stupid. It wasn't strategic. You know, I had a plan for it. And then I sat down uh, with the, the man who, uh, who led the small groups. And as he walked me through their, different, uh, their, their difficulties, I realized how arrogant and stupid I was. And it was so easy for me to think I, I knew what I was doing because I had a little church of 40 people, all 20-somethings, with a couple babies. That's super easy to plan around. And you have families, some with 10 kids and older people and leaders all over. It's really hard to figure out how to manage small groups. So sluggards always think they know what they're doing. So that's a sluggard. Right? Those are all aspects of what goes into being sluggard. You don't have to have all those things to be sluggish. But hopefully some of those things resonate with you. They resonated with me as I looked at them. Because if they resonate with you, then they're things that you can repent of. And God will give you strength uh, to overcome those things, to be diligent. 
uh, he says in uh, verse 30, the second half, and by the vineyard uh, of, the man of, uh, of the man lacking sense. This is just another way of defining sluggard, a man lacking sense. If you consume but don't produce, you lack sense. If you constantly must make excuses for yourself, but you think yourself as wiser than others, you lack sense. If you're always kicking back and relaxing, but will soon need to beg to sustain yourself, you lack sense. The sluggard lacks sense. He lives in opposition to natural principles that are easily discerned. He lives recklessly like there won't be any consequences for his actions. And he is only able to do this because he has cultivated a short memory. And he only has a short memory because he lives for the moment, just for today. Does not plan. Brethren, we mustn't be like this. We have the word of God to instruct us. We have more than just observing natural principles. Though the principles of nature, right, are enough. We know that. Go to the ant, you sluggard. He says, look, the ants have plenty because they are always thorn up. Can't you just learn from the world around you? But we have more than that. We have the direct counsel and wisdom of God's word. Not only that, we have the Holy Spirit to empower us. We do have a source of power readily available, God himself. And we also have the, the hope of eternal life to motivate us. Something more than today, something more than tomorrow. Heaven, paradise, forever and ever. Where there's a tree of life. So we mustn't be sluggish in our faith. Now, it's easy to say amen, but there's a reason why being sluggish is a real temptation. Listen to uh, verse 31. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles, and its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And this, this describes the result of, of his sluggishness. He didn't repair the wall when an animal kicked, uh, kicked part of it over, um, or when the rain eroded it. He didn't fix it. And those things started stacking up, and the wall was in disrepair. He didn't remove the thistles and nettles when they were little weeds, and now they've overtaken the entire vineyard. We know that. In the south, we have kudzu. Got to stay on top of that stuff. Uh, he simply left it alone. He left it all alone in the earth. The earth reclaimed it. Now think about that. That's interesting. The earth is ruling over the man. Not the man over the earth. This is all backwards. It's a, res- it's a reversing of the creation mandate. In Genesis 1.28, Moses writes, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, right? Produce and multiply, produce and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's often called the creation mandate. It's mentioned here and it's, and it's again repeated post-fall to Noah after the flood. So the mandate is still in effect, but the fall did definitely complicate things. It did make things harder. There's a call to, well, think about this. This is from Genesis uh, chapter 3. There's a call to be fruitful in the creation mandate, which refers to, in a nutshell, building a home. Children and all the things associated. Marriage, children, and all the things there. Consider the curse given to the woman. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So the place of her fruitfulness, bearing children, being a helpmate to her husband, bringing those children up into maturity, that place now has been cursed, and it's difficult. Every mother knows that. 
It's difficult to have children. It's difficult uh, to bring them to maturity. You worry about them. They disrespect you. It's hard to continue to discipline them and do all that stuff. It's hard to keep a home. It's hard to keep a marriage together, resolve conflict and all that. And that's due to the curse, right? It's hard to bear fruit. Then there's a, a call to rule and reign over the earth in, the, in the, the creation mandate, which refers to more or less building a society. Consider the curse given to the man. Curse is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The curse makes sluggishness a temptation. And being faithful, being fruitful, being productive, it's hard because the world pushes back as we push forward. You can't just mow your yard once. You can't just discipline your kid one time. You can't weed your garden once. It must be done over and over again. It must be maintained. It must be a habit. Because weeds, because sin, they come back. And that's what makes it hard, the creation mandate. Those, those vines, those nettles, the rain, the wind, the animals that keep breaking stuff on the farm. you got to fix it. Is that not your home? Things breaking, you got to fix. Kids ripping the handles off refrigerators. You fix your car, and the other car gets broken down. It's relentless. Relentless being diligent. It's hard. Easy to check out. Don't you want to check out? Having you deserved Hulu tonight and a glass of Chardonnay or whatever it is. This is how we think. We want to be sluggish. We want to back out because it's a very difficult world we live in. Remember the temptation of Jesus? He was tempted three times. Not once, but three times. Then the devil left, but what does it say in Luke 4? When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. It was not over. This particular temptation was over. But he was going to come again. Just like those weeds, just like our sin, there are spiritual forces in this world that will attack us in waves over and over again. The ease of the pre-fall world is no longer. We live in a fallen world that's cursed and therefore full of difficulty. The sluggish man hates this. Hates that the world's difficult. And that's why the world reigns over him. And that's why, uh, well, that is why the nettles and thistles are everywhere. And this is why the sluggish man sees himself as a victim of outside forces. Because he refuses to be diligent and fight back. So always the world's pushing on him. And he's right. It is. But God has made a way. God has given us means. God has given us spirit. God has given us family. God has given us immense resources. As you go through Proverbs, that's the thing that strikes you. Is that these sluggards often have things. Even our man. He has a field. He has a vineyard. He has things. But he's not taking care of them. He's not making use of them. It's easy to be discouraged. And this is a temptation that is common to all of us, which is why we should um, often call it out. Uh, Spurgeon says that preachers should often denounce this because it produces a whole family of sins, is what he says. 
Um, I don't think we talk about laziness enough because it's going to offend people. And they're going to give you a ton of, I'm going to give you a ton of excuses. You're going to say, why didn't you do this thing? Oh, this, 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 and this, right? And then if you press me, I'm going to get really mad. Well, you don't know what it's like. How many kids do you have? I don't know. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make excuses. So it's really hard to confront people. But man, we need it. This is a devastating sin. And it's one that, that needs to be called out. Especially needs to be called out because it's when we know and God has made a way. Made a way for these things to be resolved. Verse 32 says, When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. In other words, we learn from bad examples. Solomon looks and Solomon doesn't come and say, ha ha, you're a slugger. He, he starts to reflect on this. And that is a good habit when you see anyone fall into sin or a sin becomes uh, clear to you in someone's life is how does this apply to me? How is that in my life? If you are quick to, if you see someone else fall into a sin, you say, is that... Is that in me in some form right now? Right, a man falls into adultery and you ask yourself, have I been making peace with lust of my heart? Right, if you have, then you quickly repent of it because God's giving this example to demonstrate the, the danger of that sin, what it could result in. If you look at a slugger and you see his whole household in disrepair, then you look at your house and your family and what you've built and you, and you recognize that that could happen to you too if you, if you fall along in that sin. So where you're starting to bring slack into your life, you repent and ask God to strengthen you to be diligent. And so he looks at this bad example and he learns. So we have both good examples and bad examples in Scripture. Judas is there for us to learn from. Balaam is there for us to learn from. All of them are there for us to learn from. We should be able to deduce things from that and apply it to our own life. They're, they're all the same people. They're all made of the same stuff. They're all made in the image of the same God. Therefore, their sins uh, aren't, aren't unique sins. They're common to all men, and we can benefit. Now, that's why we have to have a degree of, like, come on, guys, seriously. I mean, if, if Jesus rose from the dead, I, I think I might fall into the whole doubting Thomas. I'm so cynical about miracles and things. I don't believe anything anymore, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't believe in the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, none of that stuff, Right. Um, I think it's funny. I think it's interesting. Um, but uh, maybe he didn't really die. What, what happened? But a lot of times we look at Doubting Thomas and we judge him. Um, instead of using it as an opportunity to repent of the doubt of our own life. You know. And, and therefore, as we look at this sluggard, it's always good not to think about other people. It, you have to get there eventually. Because perhaps if someone's a sluggard, and this is helping instruct you how to minister to them. But first, start with yourself. Make a practice of confessing your sins. Confess and pray. It's interesting, again, Spurgeon. Spurgeon has a lot to say on this topic. Some temptations come to the industrious, but all temptations attack the idle. Some temptations come to the industrious, but all temptations attack the idle. Isn't that true? I am the most productive and well, I think maybe the word both spiritually and physically, when I just have a full, full plate. And uh, when I don't, it's amazing how I'll waste the time I have. The, just the, the, the little grains in that hourglass, I waste them on stupid things that keep going. 
Um, so here's one reason not to be a sluggard and to be diligent. Less temptation. That's awesome. I could use less temptation in my life. Well, good. Get busy. Get busy in the church. Get busy in your family. Get busy in the word. Get busy on your knees in prayer. You know, be about, don't be idle. Right? You have no free time. You understand that? You really don't nowadays. It's such an evil day. That time should be spent in prayer. Now, back it up. You can throw a frisbee, play football, see a movie. But everyone acts like, oh, we have so much free time. Well, we only have so much free time because prayer doesn't matter, because Bible study doesn't matter, because church events don't matter. That's why we have free time. That time should not be free. It should be spent on other things. And then after those other things are gone, then you can go see. I've been wanting to see a movie now for like months. I just can't find. I have to go watch 30 minutes of previews, and then the movies are eight hours now. And It's like i got to put a whole day aside. I can't do it um, if, I, if I'm being faithful. If I'm not being faithful, I certainly can do it. But be busy, and if you're not, you're going to be under constant attack. Perhaps that's why you are. Perhaps that is why you're failing right now, why you're hunkered down with sin and have guilty conscience, and it's even hard to hear this. Because you are not being industrious. So repent and be industrious. That's all there is to it. God will help you. Verse 33 through 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. We always want to kick back. And, And this is how sin starts. Sin always starts little. I, uh, I was tired during that, building that thing out there. I did very little. I totally couldn't be a, uh, a landscaper anymore or a construction worker. I would most likely be brought to the hospital in the first couple hours of the day. Because though we worked hard, it wasn't like construct. well, for Corey <laughs> and Nathan maybe. But for the rest of us, we just stood there like city workers and watched. Uh, I was so tired. I went home, and I meant to lie down for like, I don't know what I told myself. Like 10 minutes, I was going to come back. And then Emily wakes me up, and she's like, it's 6.30. I'm like, woo, I've been asleep for three hours. And uh, race back here um, to, to do a little bit. And uh, this is what happens. We, we start, we just, I'm just going to sleep a little. I'm just going to take a day off, right? And then it slowly becomes a habit. And something small grows into something big. That's why we have to be very careful. Now, Again, as I, as I go through this, I think of the people that have very soft consciences. They're easily stumbled by the things I'm saying and guilted. I know there might be a few of you, but I, I just find that most people, that's not their problem spiritually, at least right now in this country. It doesn't seem like it, but there are some of you. Um, but um, most of us would do well just to, to be overly scrupulous when it comes to our time, to, to really take the little serious. You know, some of you could kick back a little bit, relax. It might be good for you, but you are the minority. So you're just doing this. You're just kicking back. And for a time, you know what? Nothing bad happens. Nothing bad happens. That's the thing about sin. That's the thing about sluggishness. For a time, you can be unproductive and not feel the consequences. What a day of reckoning comes. Then your poverty will come as a robber out of nowhere, forceful, violent, ripping the little you have away from you. And you want like the armed man. It's just gone. And this is true spiritually. 
Matthew Henry says, our souls are our fields and vineyards, which we are, every one of us, to take care of, to dress and to keep. They're capable of being improved with good husbandry. Uh, they may be got out of them, which we, that may be got out of them, which will be fruit abounding to our account. We are charged with them to occupy them till our Lord come, and a great deal of care and pains is requisite that we should take about them. Right? So it's, there's economic truth here that we all realize when we think of our savings account, our investments, or our debt, or what our credit score is. And we can look back and say, those are bad decisions I made for bad reasons and it's resulted in this. And that's true, and you should learn and take that away from, from this, without a doubt. What you should also learn is that, uh, that we, our, our own life, is a, is a garden that must be taken care of. And um, I didn't put it in here, but I have it on my phone. Um, this is uh, Shorter Catechism, 88 I th- or 85. To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Everyone says yes there. Repentance and a life. Most people say yes. But then he says, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. Diligent use of the means. Be in your Bible. You have the word of God. Tyndale fried for this. You have the word of God. We're about to celebrate the Reformation 500 years and you don't study your Bible. What is wrong? What excuse? Five, ten minutes a day will change your life. Right? You have prayer. Think of all your problems. You have tons of problems. If you're a parent, you have tons of problems. Little souls entrusted to you. Little souls. Much prayer now will remove prayer in their 20s. You'll be praying different things. In, the tw- in their 20s, if you pray a lot now. Church. Church. I say church not as in the family of God and the, the community, but I talk about uh, the, the gathering. Monday, uh, or Mondays, well, if we do something Monday, but Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Make it a priority. Life is rigorous. You cannot afford to be away from the preached word. People put time into this to give you something worthwhile, not just stories about our week, not just five steps on how to have a better marriage, but what the Word of God actually says to you. It'll do you good. When I first became a Christian, the best thing, a guy named Jim Monig, he was illiterate and weighed 500 pounds. But he loved Jesus, and Jim told me, well, so are you going to be a serious Christian? I said, well, yeah, man, I want to be a serious Christian. I'd been a Christian for like a week. And uh, he said, what do you think a serious Christian is? I suppose a serious Christian reads his Bible and never misses church. He says, that's a good definition. And since then, I've missed church 10 times. I've been a Christian 20 years. Now, look, you guys all are different. You live different places. You have different health. You have different... I did that way before I was on staff, just so you know. <laughs> um, but it, I tell you that for this reason. It has kept me from being apostate. There have been some dark times in my life where I grew sluggish and I was not seeking God the way I should. Continue to read theology, continue to debate theology, far from God. But being under the preached word, it kept my heart alive. And eventually, 
it knocked off the, all that charcoal, and underneath there, there was still embers. And God fanned the flame. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's because of a commitment to some of the preaching. Make diligent use of these means. Don't be a sluggard. And if you are a sluggard, you shouldn't be surprised when the world comes crashing down on you. So a couple things. If you're a sluggard, just repent. Find an elder. Find Andrew if you're a lady. I'm, I'm sure Sarah would love to pray with you. Repent of being a sluggard. Confess your sins in a way that you got a little skin in the game. Tell someone else. And ask that God would strengthen your diligence. Also recognize that messiness is not the same thing as being a sluggard. Right? In Proverbs it says, talks about uh, the ox, right? The stall's like dirty, but much revenue comes by the way of the ox. So if you're a woodworker, there's going to be wood chips on your floor because you're diligent. As a mom, your house doesn't have to be perfect. You know, as a man, your health doesn't have to be perfect, but... You know, you do want to be diligent, so there will be sloppiness in your life to some degree. Not all of us are Dutch. Um, but uh, I say that because of the Van Timmerans, different people. But uh, anyway, that, and, and brethren, God is gracious. His Spirit's available. You, God has ordained that you would uh, bear fruit and that it would remain. That you would be a people zealous for good works. And uh, praise the Lord for it. Let's pray. Father God, Oh, thank you that you love us in spite of our terrible sin. That even while we were enemies, while we engaged in our sin and loved our sin, you sent your son to die for us. And it's through his perfect life, his perfect sacrifice that we're reconciled to you and that we know that your face shines on us. Father, we pray out of this confidence, out of this trust and that finished work, that we would go forth in fruitfulness. That we would uh, bear uh, fruit that would last. That we'd be cells for good works. And that we wouldn't uh, play the victim card, but we'd call it what it is and uh, receive uh, rebuke and correction humbly. We thank you for your grace, and we ask that uh, you would have mercy on us and strengthen us to live this sort of life, a life that's in line with your gospel. In your son's name, amen.